0: If you were here the first time I had the opportunity to speak in this church, there were a number of students that were actually sitting over in this row that's empty right here. And I went and made a joke with them because part of my role at the Bible college is I get to teach homiletics, which is how to preach. And so I gave them this assignment where they had to intently listen to this 10 sermons throughout the semester and journal their feedback and their comments and think about what they'd like to integrate into their own preaching ministries and what they are sure they don't want to integrate, what they want to stay away from, bad examples, and and just have that self-awareness, and uh, I ended up preaching in front of the students who were journaling, and so... I'm grading those assignments right now, and I'm reading their feedback on my own sermon, which is a little awkward. And I just have to say, as much as I love the students, I'm a little relieved that they went home on Saturday. If you're watching online right now, and you're a student, I apologize. I do miss you, and I do love you. But I feel like a weight's been lifted. I don't have to preach a sermon that they're going to pick apart uh, in all love. But that's all good. Uh, I'm really excited. I, I love to preach, I love to share, and it's a, it's a real honor to, to have this opportunity now to share with you. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit on a theme that really comes the week after Easter, like to look back one week to Easter and then look ahead to, to now and kind of walk you through the entire biblical narrative on a theme that I'll get to in a moment. But I thought the best way to introduce this theme uh, what I'm going to be sharing about is going to be a little indirectly. I have a video uh, I'd like to share with you. The, the sermon's entitled Vanishing Act, Matthew 27, 51. And if I could... Um, this didn't advance. Here we go. Is there, is there audio for this? Hey, Rudy. And lots of dog owners are posting their results online. <laughs> As you can see, all you do is hold a blanket in front of you, then quickly run away as you drop it. Poof! You're gone! From the dog's point of view, it really looks as if you vanished into thin air. <laughs> <laughs> this husky is totally baffled. <laughs> Don't worry, fellas. Your best friend will always be back. (laughs) I don't know if you've heard about this challenge. It's called... I have to be careful how I say this. What the Fluff. The What the Fluff Challenge. It, It is this trick where you fool your dogs and it's a classic vanishing act, right? The classic vanishing act where um, all of a sudden someone disappears and the dogs don't know what's going on. And it's funny precisely because we know what the dogs don't know. We know what's actually happening. We know why they're confused and it's great to watch their reaction. Um, vanishing acts are a staple in, in uh, the magical trick world, right? Right? You've, you've, you've all seen, I'm sure, an example where someone does this trick and all of a sudden the assistant just disappears and then they show up later in the audience somewhere. Or perhaps you present a quarter so everyone can see it. I, I wish I could do this, but I have no skill at all in this area. And then all of a sudden the quarter disappears and then you pull it out from behind their ear or something like that. You've all, you've all seen tricks like this. Well, I learned... And I, I, I learned some of this from a, a book by Pete Rollins. Uh, but he, I, I learned that there are three steps to presenting this sort of thing. The first thing is called the pledge. And that's when you present something to people. Whether it's a person, whether it's a quarter, an object. You make sure everyone can see. It's called the pledge. The second step is called the turn. And that's when you run when the blanket drops. That's when the quarter disappears. That's when whatever was presented in the pledge actually vanishes, the turn. And then finally, the third step in all these things is called the prestige. And that's when what has disappeared seemingly miraculously reappears. And you saw it in that video when the owner of the husky showed up and the dog was overwhelmed with joy because the owner had returned. You see when uh, the assistant appears in the audience or the quarter is pulled from behind someone's ear, we have this pledge, turn, and prestige. And I want to use this framework, this idea, to reflect on this one truth. I want to share it with you. And it's this, if this works. God tends to show up in unexpected places. Uh, I taught my homiletic students that it's really important to have one clear thought that you want to convey to people. And that's this. I'll be coming back to it. God shows up in unexpected places. I want to consider what happened at Easter and reflect on how God shows up in unexpected places. I want to take this by the end of the message to our own lives and think about how we live our week-to-week life and reflect on how, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, God shows up in unexpected places. The text is from Matthew 27. I'm going to read verses 50 and 51. Whoops. I think we both skipped forward that time. Jesus, and this is of course from Easter, this is what we reflected on on Good Friday last week, Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. And Matthew and and, uh, Mark both tell us this, at that moment, the moment when Jesus breathed his last breath, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from the top to the bottom. I'd like you to visualize that. The curtain they're talking about is the veil that separated the presence of God in the Holy of Holies from the rest of the people. And in the very moment that Jesus breathed his last breath, that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Well, let's dig into this a little bit. Let's look at the broader narrative of Scripture. Let's look at the pledge. Let's look at how God... Chooses to be with us. And really, when you think about the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation all the way through, the one theme that you can't escape is this idea that God loves us and wants to be with us. If you think back to the very beginning of the Bible, the first chapters of Genesis, what happens? God creates a world. He creates us and a garden, a place where we can live and thrive and flourish. And how is God presented in those first three chapters of Genesis? Well, he likes to just go for a walk in the garden with his people. God likes to be with his people. God loves us and wants to spend time with us, wants to be with us. That's what the creation story, one of the major themes of it is that God created so that he could be with his creation he created this world like a temple that he filled with his presence so he could be with us that's the very beginning of the Bible well let's fast forward to the very end of the Bible Revelation chapter 21 what do you have there you have this vision of what's going to happen at the end of time at the very end the very future the the final moment you have this picture of a new heavens and a new earth coming out of the sky coming down, landing on in our reality. And here's what the Bible says in Revelation 21, verse 3. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, The entire goal, the entire plan, narrative of God's interaction with us is this. God wants to be with us. God wants to spend time with us. But of course, in between the beginning and the end of the story... There was a lot of chaos that happened. Humans rebelled against God, started doing things their own way. But this didn't deter God. God was determined to continue to spend time with his people. Perhaps you remember if you've ever, this is early enough in the year, if you've ever tried to read your Bible, how many have tried to read your Bible in a year? Has anyone tried that? And you get to Exodus 21 and you're like, what have I done? You been there? Yeah, because it's, Lots of stories, 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 and wham! All this instruction. And what are the instructions about? The instructions are about how can we build a spectacular tent in the center of the camp that's good enough and pure enough and holy enough for God to live? Because God wanted to live in the middle of his people. And if you read about... The Israelites going through the wilderness, the tent of God or the tabernacle is the fancy word for it. The tabernacle of God, this tent that they created was always in the very center of the camp. When that tabernacle was consecrated, when it was was blessed, this is what happened. The cloud covered the temple, the tabernacle, having the appearance of fire. It was always so. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. You see, because God's people recognized that on top of the mountain of Sinai where Moses met with God, there was fire and there was smoke and it was symbols of God's presence. When they went through the wilderness, it was a pillar of fire, a pillar of smoke symbolizing God's presence. And when they set up this very special tent called the tabernacle, what happened? God arrived in fire and smoke And the presence of God was with his people because just like in Genesis, just like in Revelation, God desires to be with his people. Fast forwarding through Israel's history a little bit. They finally settled in a land and uh, after David's long musical and bloody career, if I could say it that way, his son Solomon has the privilege of creating a stationary temple for God. In Jerusalem, he builds the temple, he consecrates it, and that tent that followed, that they took all through the wilderness, all throughout those years, that tent essentially goes into the very center of the temple. Why? Because God wants to be right in the center of where his people are. And so they had this place called the Holy of Holies that was in the center of the temple, that was in the center of Jerusalem, that was in the center of God's people. They viewed it as the center of the earth. God wanted to live there. And when Solomon finished praying, dedicating the temple, we learn in Chronicles that fire came down from heaven, consumed the offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Just like it filled the tent, the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord came. You can sense a theme here, right? God wants to be with his people from Genesis to Revelation whether it's wandering through the desert with a fancy tent to a very special spectacular holy of holies in a temple but even that wasn't God's ultimate plan the ultimate way that God chose to live with us was in Jesus himself and when we look at some of the scriptures that tell us about Jesus well perhaps you've heard this one look The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means, anyone know? God with us, right? From the beginning until the end. Jesus himself was God with us. Or an even more radical, I believe, way to say it is in the Gospel of John. The Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. That word for lived or dwelt is the same word as tabernacle or tent. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. God, who lived with his people in the wilderness, lived with his people in Jerusalem, sent his son in whom the fullness of God resided. And Jesus was and is God dwelling in the midst of his people. Why? Because God always wants to be with his people from the beginning to the end. So to use the goofy kind of illustration that I kicked this sermon off with, that is the pledge, This is what we see in Scripture, God being present with his people. I love that metaphor of tabernacle because I absolutely love to camp. This is where I'm going to be in two weeks. This is the Bustard Islands. I don't know how well you know uh, the Georgian Bay area, but where the French River pours into the Georgian Bay, there's all these little reefs all over the place, and there's this one cluster of islands. They're about two kilometers out in the bay, so we're going canoeing, and so it's going to depend on the weather. I've camped there once before. If the weather's sketchy, we won't be able to get there, but if it behaves enough for us, we are going to be camping there. Me and my closest friends, we are going to be setting up our tent and exploring this area. I have this picture. This is kind of interesting. This is that same island. These are the Bustard Islands. And although I have no idea who the people are that took this photo, it's the exact same tent that I'm going to be sleeping in in two weeks, that Eureka tent, that blue Eureka. So I'm going to be doing this. And when you, when you camp somewhere, when you tent somewhere, you really get to know the place. If it's cold, you're cold. If it rains for three days, you're wet. <laughs> if it's warm, you're warm. You can you, you learn to be a fully engaged with the place where you're tenting. And when we think about Jesus tenting among us, to use that metaphor, we think about a Jesus who knew and understood and experienced everything it is that we go through because he set up his tent there, his tabernacle, the glory of God present with us. So that's the pledge Let's get to the turn. And I want to explain to you that God's not stuck in one place. I'm going to still continue kind of walking through the narrative of the Bible because I want us to see ourselves as part of that story because that is our story. We belong in the story of Scripture. You see, when God chose to live, when, not live, when God chose to make his presence known with his people, in the Holy of Holies, in the middle of the temple, it led to this idea that that's the only place where God was. And when we're away from that Holy of Holies, we can do other things because God's over there. But, but when we're close to it, we have to be careful because this is where God is and develops this idea that, that this is the only place where God is which we know is completely not true. My favorite prophet is Ezekiel. And Ezekiel trained his whole life to be a priest. He trained to be the person who could approach the presence of God in the Holy of Holies and mediate between God and the people He grew up in a priestly family. He would have been trained so that when he turned 30 years old, he would be able to take his role serving in the temple and actually being close to the presence of God. From the time he was a little boy, this is what he would have looked forward to. But things didn't go exactly as planned because when he was 30 years old, he found himself hundreds of miles away across the desert in Babylon, in a refugee camp, stuck away from his God, away from his people. Because Nebuchadnezzar came in, the Babylonians came in, and ultimately destroyed the temple. And so Ezekiel was stuck. He was frustrated. He, he was called to be a priest, but you can't be a priest without a temple. And he was called to, to serve God, but for all he knew, his God was defeated. Because the people were destroyed. He was in exile. He was in Babylon. And then when Ezekiel chapter 1 opens up, there's this crazy scene, this crazy vision. People have tried to, uh, dis- to paint or to draw or to show this vision. Ezekiel, whoops, if you could go back one, please. Ezekiel is on, for some reason, this is skipping twice at once. Ezekiel is on the bank of the Kibar River, which is a glorified drainage ditch, an irrigation channel, and he's frustrated, and he's supposed to be starting his priestly duties, and he can't because he's nowhere near the temple. And this wind blows in from the north, this great big wind starts. And I always picture prophets as having lots of hair, which is why I could never be a prophet. But I always picture like the super long hair, the long beard starts to blow in the wind. I don't know any of this, but this is how I visualize it. And Ezekiel is standing and this wind blows in from the north, this storm, and he starts to see lightning striking. And he's on the bank of this irrigation ditch in exile, and all of a sudden the storm, and I I kind of picture him as just completely fed up and just saying, fine, hit me. Like, I don't care. My life's over anyways. What am I going to do with it? So he lets the storm wash over him, and as the storm approaches, the clouds open up, and he sees who is in the center of the storm. And the short story is, Everything he was trained to to care for in the temple where God lived was actually in reality right there in front of him because God is not stuck. God is not bound to one place. Ezekiel sees this vision of, in the right-hand side of the picture there, a wheel within a wheel full of eyes all around This terrifying, frightening vision. Um, And that vision points to the fact that they're wheels. Wheels are what you use to move things. God is not stationary. God is not stuck. And God is not just over in Jerusalem. God could even be where Ezekiel was. Those wheels could move. There was eyes. They could see. God is not limited to his temple. And in fact, a few chapters later in Ezekiel, Ezekiel has a vision of the temple back home in Jerusalem, and he actually sees God lifting up, in a spiritual sense, in a visionary sense, lifting up off the temple, going over to the hill, and leaving because of the judgment. Anyways, I could get really stuck in here, and I, I think I may be uh, drifting too far. So let me, let me pull this back a little bit. God is not stuck in one place. He never has been. There was this Roman general named Pompey, who about 60 years before the birth of Jesus, besieged Jerusalem and walked into the temple. And this was a horrible thing to do because he wasn't a Jewish person. He he defiled the temple by his very presence. And he walked into the temple, and he walked into the Holy of Holies. And this is what Tacitus, a historian, says that he says, The sanctuary was empty, and the Holy of Holies was untenanted. Where was God? Where was the presence of God? To go back to this idea of the pledge. God wants to be with his people. Then there's this radical turn. We see it at Easter, right? The veil of the Holy of Holies was torn from the top to the bottom. And what was there? Nothing. Everything they expected wasn't there. So they're in this difficult place it would have felt like their god was gone it would have felt like their lord jesus was gone because where was he in the grave it would have felt like everything had vanished around them everyone they served but thankfully that's not the end of the story god shows up i want to ask you a question to kind of make this a little bit more personal do you ever find yourself going through your day-to-day life throughout the week and realizing by the time Sunday rolls around that, oh my goodness, I forgot about God and I haven't thought about him for a few days now? Do you ever find yourself at work, getting so lost in your work and in the politics and all the different conflicts that happen that you, you come home at the end of the day and you're like, oh my goodness, I, I, I completely forgot that God was even there. Do you ever lose sight of God in your day-to-day life? Maybe I'm the only one <laughs> losing sight of God at the Bible college. Okay, i got to stop here. Um, do you ever determine to read your Bible and pray? You have these moments on Sundays, maybe there's a time of prayer at the front, and you feel empowered by God to devote yourself to Him, only to find a week later that, yeah, you've completely lost that passion, you've lost that fire, and, and, and you realize that you've lost sight of God. The one thing I wanted to remind you of, the one thing I wanted you to know from the beginning is that God shows up in unexpected places and God wants to show up. God is showing up in your life if we'll only have eyes to see and ears to hear. I want you to imagine for a second what it would have been like to be the disciples at Easter before they heard about the resurrection. What had happened? Well, The person who they had followed for the last three years, the person who had opened the eyes of blind people, loosed the tongues of the mute, who had cast out demons, who had fed thousands of people, who walked on water, the person who taught as one with authority, who forgave sins, who revealed the Father, the person who did all this was now dead. And none of them had any idea that he was coming back. I mean, Jesus warned them, but we all know that dead people don't come back. That's a basic human fact. So from the disciples' perspective, their Lord had vanished. He was in the grave. What has happened? And then you think back to their their deeper religious life, their, their roots in Judaism, their roots as good Jewish people, and they look at the temple... And the curtain that's supposed to separate the presence of God from the people is torn in half. And what's there? Nothing. Their God was gone. Everything was gone. They had lost everything. They were in despair. And the Bible tells us they were in a room together with the doors locked because they were afraid of what was going to happen to them. And here's what happens. This is the prestige. This is God showing up in unexpected places. When it was the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Didn't say he unlocked the door. All of a sudden, he was there. The prestige. Jesus was there. Peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. They needed that twice. I think we would too. I think they were probably sitting on the floor at this time because their legs had given out. I don't know about you, but if I watched someone die and then they showed up in the room with the locked door a few days later, I'd be a little stunned. Peace be with you. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. So he shows up. Jesus appears, the one that they thought was gone, the one that had vanished, the one who was sealed in the tomb, all of a sudden was there with them. God with us, Emmanuel. He offered them his peace, and he commissioned them. He said, just like the Father sent me into this world, I'm sending you in the same way. So go into this world, but you're not going on your own. He breathed on them, just like god breathed into human beings and they came alive he breathed on them and said receive the spirit and they could go into this world in the presence of the spirit i mean luke describes the arrival of the spirit as a mighty rushing wind blowing through the house and what tongues of fire because when god shows up you get fire and you get wind it's something that happens The God they thought was vanished was there with them, present with them. The God who had supposedly disappeared or vanished was with them after all. And this is our story. This is why I told you that big narrative piece all the way through. We're part of this story. God shows up in unexpected places. And so here's what I'd like us to do with that truth. I'd like us to work on recognizing the presence of God in our daily life. I'd like us to work on having, and me too, certainly me too, having eyes to see and ears to hear where God is in this world. Because God is always active. God has poured out His Spirit upon us and made us His church The presence that was in the tent, that was in the temple, that was in Ezekiel's vision, that was um, empowering Jesus. That spirit is among and within us and is active in the world, bringing this world to the conclusion where the presence of God will be with humans once and for all. That we read about in Revelation yet we still lose sight of it in our day-to-day life because the mundane things in life tend to trip us up. We tend to get distracted, we lose sight, and we go through day after day and realize that we, we haven't paid any attention to where God is in our life at all. So what I'd like us to do is learn to recognize God's presence in our daily life. So how can we do this is the question. And there's certainly many different ways to approach it and invite you to think through what it looks like in your life, but I'll give you one simple challenge that you may want to try this week, a practical step you can do. We are trained by our technology to be distracted. We have notifications and buzzes and beeps and my watch even flicks me on the wrist now when someone texts me, except I remembered to put it in silent mode so I wouldn't be distracted while I was preaching. We are trained to be distracted by social media, by everything that comes our way. Why don't we leverage a little bit of that to turn our focus to God? Why don't you, what would happen if you set a reminder on your phone to remind you at some point in the week to just step back? And this is in a posture of prayer, recognize that God is there with you, even if it's in the middle of your work week, even if it's in the middle of school. What if you said, hey Siri, remind me on Wednesday at 1.30 in the afternoon that God is with me. And you take that step back and you recognize that yet God's not vanished. He's not gone. He's not in some place far away. He's not in the Northview building hanging out until we come back next Sunday. But God is active and present with us and among us. And then we can start to align our lives with God's purposes. We can start to, as the Father sent Jesus so he sent us, we can start being God's sent people into the world recognizing him where we may have lost sight. You might find God telling you that that irritating coworker that is just driving you bonkers, well, that's where God's at work right now. So how are you going to partner with God to serve his kingdom purposes in this world? I don't know what God's going to tell you, but I do believe that God is with you. He's with us. And if we take the time to pause and reflect on that truth, he will make himself known to us. Take that time when you get that little notification to just ask, how can I work with you, Lord, as your sent one, to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Amen? I'll invite the uh, the worship team to come back up to close the service. Uh, I, I had a song in my mind, but I didn't communicate it ahead of time, so I'll let them do whatever they had planned. But I was thinking about the bridge of that song, Holy Spirit. Um, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Can flood this place for the... We sang it many times. What is the bridge? Let me become more aware of your presence. Let me experience the glory of your goodness. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we might become more aware of the presence of God because he has not vanished. He is here with us. Amen.